Good. Hey, let me ask you a question. Uh, guys or, or, hey, it's 2019, maybe ladies, if maybe you took your husband out, whatever it is. If you're like, uh, my, my wife, Katie and I, it all comes out of the same place anyway. Um, how, how many took your significant other, your sweetheart out for Valentine's? Either we got a whole lot of single people or some guys needed something better. Um, I'm going to tell them myself a little bit. I did not take my wife out. Um, I, I was actually working until after six that day. Uh, but I did pick up, uh, some takeout Japanese on the way home. So all was well in the Capshaw household. Um, I, I'm just telling you right now, um, Jesus Christ coming to earth, um, with the exception of last night, the Tennessee Vols 2019 basketball season and Koji Express are three of the greatest things to ever happen to man. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so we did, we had a good time and we hung out at the house. Kiddos were there as well. So, uh, but, but let me ask you a question. How many readers are here? How many like to read? Pleasure read. Just like to read for fun. Wow. More than went out for Valentine's. I guess you're at home reading, right? Um, but, uh, uh, so, so my wife is a pleasure reader. She's a librarian. Uh, she gets paid to read, apparently. Uh, no, she does a lot more than that. She's, she's taught in classes, English and everything. So, uh, but I am not a big pleasure reader. I don't read for pleasure. Uh, of course, I'll read the word. I'll study and stuff like that and, and read when I quote-unquote have to. But just not a pleasure reader. Not gonna, I've got free time. I'm probably watching something sports or playing with the boys or something like that. Um, but... I will occasionally pick up a book uh, from a couple of different authors and, and read, um, get going, and it's pretty good. But a lot of times I'll go into bookstores or whatever, and I'll be skimming around looking at things, and let's just be real, I'm there with either one of my kids or my wife, and uh, just wasting time while they're finding what they want. But I'll pick up a book, and since I'm not a big reader, you know, I'll read the inside cover or maybe a few pages of the uh, the foreword or the introduction or whatever it is, and, and just kind of see if it's something that piques my interest. But I know, I'll just be real with you, I know I'm not going to pick it up, buy it, and read it or, or, or check it out at the library. I go to the library and check out movies, go figure. Um, but, um, but so we, uh, I'll, I'll immediately turn over the back and read the last few pages just to see how it ends, you know, because I've kind of gotten a little intrigued by the introduction or whatever, and I'll flip right to the back and see how it ends, just kind of a spoiler, I guess, you know. Uh, well, that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to flip right to the back and tell you how it ends. So today we're going to be talking about the key to victory, all right? And, and, and just to kind of lay it all out there in case we don't get done in time so we can read the last page ahead of time, uh, that key to victory is love. And you sit there and go, really? Well, we'll prove it. Um, right here it says, the, the last page line, if you will, says victory comes when love is present. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a couple minutes and, um, and, and look and see how we can obtain our victory or our victory can be attained through love. So, Father, we thank you for an opportunity to get into your word today, Father. We thank you that you have your way in this service today. I ask that your anointing be upon this, Father, that they be not my words, but your words, Father. I'm just the vessel. Father, I ask that our hearts be softened and our ears be opened, our eyes fixed on you and ready to receive what you've got. I thank you that we've come expecting today, Father, and that you're going to show up and show out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, back in the, I think it was the early 90s, maybe right at the end of the 80s, there was a just a dance music group. There was a one-hit wonder called Hadaway. Anybody heard of them? Doesn't really matter. Nobody cares. Um, but they had a song out, um, for those of you Saturday Night Live fans, they had a song out called What is Love? You know, it was the whole Night of the Roxbury thing for Will Ferrell fans and Chris Kattan. 
But um, their whole song was, what is love? And no, I'm not going to sing it. I, you're welcome. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the world's looking for love. Uh, it was Johnny Lee, I think. Somebody looked it up for me. Thank you. Johnny Lee wrote a song back in, I believe it was back in the 80s, maybe even the 70s. And it says, looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. You know? Uh, and, and that's what the world's doing. The world's looking for something to satisfy a need for love in their life. All right? So let's look at it. What is love? Well, Webster defines love as this. To have love or affection for. Now, I read that the first time, and I'm thinking, okay, affection for what? But no, it's just to have love or affection for. Now, it's kind of weird that the definition of love is love. Okay, so then we keep looking. When we look there, and, it's, and then it kind of explains itself a little bit. Love is a verb. So for those of you English majors in the house, other than my wife, uh, actually, you weren't an English major, you were an education major, but you taught English. So, uh, love is a verb. Specifically, it's a transitive verb. Cleared that right up, didn't it? How many know what a transitive verb is, just by a show of hands? Thank you for being honest. I got one person that knows what a transitive verb is. I'm so proud of you. I didn't. Uh, so it says it's a transitive verb. So what's a transitive verb? A transitive verb is characterized by having or containing a direct object. Yep, didn't clear it up for me either. <laughs> so my next question is, okay, what's a direct object? So then we look and it says a direct object is a word or phrase denoting the receiver of an action, of, a ver of the action of a verb. So that transitive verb basically says, or love as a transitive verb basically says, love represents a person, place, or thing. Whatever that person, place, or thing is, is what we refer to as a noun, right? And then love is that transitive verb. So, let's try this one on. God is love. That becomes the transitive verb for God. And so when God says, I am, what is God? Well, God's everything, but God is love, the word tells us. All right? So then we keep looking. We say, okay, what's the world's perspective on love, the, the people that, that have more degrees than I have money. Uh, so we look at psychology today, uh, and it says that love is a force of nature. However much we want to, we cannot command, demand, or take away love any more than we can command the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain to come and go according to our whims. Now here it's saying that this is a power of the mind, if you will. We have no control over love whatsoever. Think about that for a minute. So we keep looking. We say, okay, what does culture say about love? What does the, the, the cultural context of the world today tell us? Well, William Shakespeare's long-heralded and revered as one of the, the most romantic dramaticists and poets uh, of, of our time. And it says that his definition of love, that love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind. So he's almost there. Because what does the Bible tell us? We don't walk by sight, right? He says, love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind. And therefore, is a winged cupid painted blind. You know, we, you hear the phrase, oh, love is blind. It's just whatever. No, love is intentional. Love is intentional. So then we say, okay, well, let's look at what the Bible says about love. 
So what does the Bible, what does the Word of God tell us about? We'll flip over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read verses 4 through the first part of 8. A familiar verse to hopefully most of you guys. Uh, It says, verse 4 says, Love is patient, love is kind. I was telling first service, I I said, I looked at this and I said, right there, that first first part of 4, the the first two little sentences there, uh, that's, that's everything that a married couple needs to succeed in life right there. And I specifically believe it's written to the husband and the wife individually. We'll break it down for you. Women, ladies, wives, love is patient. (laughs) If you can get that one down in your marriage, you're golden. And the second one's for you gentlemen. Husbands, love is kind. Don't be a jerk. Hey, a couple of you snickered. You are awake. Um, Love is kind. We'll go on to read. It says, it does not want what belongs to others. Let's make this, let's plug love in there where it says it. It says, love does not brag. Probably just read this and go home for the day. Love is not proud. There's no pride in love. Love is not rude. Mm, Anybody else besides me need to work on that one? Love does not look out for its own interests. It's not focused on itself. Love does not become easily angry. Any of of y'all ever met my my youngest, my six-year-old brother Carter, as Pastor Eddie calls him? We'll talk about him and his anger here in a minute. Says it does not easily become angry. Love does not keep track of other people's wrongs. We live in a a technology-based society today. Everything we do, everything we type, everything we text, every phone conversation, uh, Alexa sitting on the kitchen counter, uh, whoever, everything is stored in the cloud, right? This magical cloud somewhere, this digital cloud where everything is stored. Every, every, <laughs> we joke, whether we're joking or not, uh, and I guarantee after I say this, I'm going to get some Facebook ads. Um, but we joke all the time that, oh, you got to be careful what you talk about because now you're going to get those ads from wherever because everybody's listening. I don't care if everybody's listening or not. I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, but love doesn't keep account of those wrongs. You know, everything that we text and type may be stored in the cloud, but love says, hey, don't worry about it, it's gone. I'm not going to hold that against you. It says it doesn't track people's wrongs. Verse 6 says love is not happy, or one version says it does not delight in evil. But it's full of joy when the truth is spoken. You know, sometimes we get this confused and we look at love and we say, um, well, it says right here, it says love is full of joy. So, you've got to love me. Well, when you're criticizing people, it's hard to be loved. When you're not making yourself lovable. Now, sometimes we get we, we feel a direction and a leading. Or, or parents, let me help you out with your kiddos. I have a 15-year-old, so I'm not just speaking out of lack of knowledge here. Uh, we'll tell our, our kiddos something. Uh, I'll tell my 15-year-old daughter something, and it's not what she wants to hear. Or it doesn't, it doesn't help her situation go the direction she wanted it to go. So, um, you know, she just automatically says, well, Dad doesn't love me. Dad's mean. Dad's mad. Well, but here's the key, guys. Love is full of joy when the truth is spoken. The truth is what? According to God's word. It always protects, it always trusts, love always hopes, love never gives up, 
And the first part of verse 8, love never fails. So you say, okay, then let's take all of that and let's get a definition that we can run with on Monday morning. That's great for Sunday, Pastor John. That's great for Sunday, but what's a definition that we can go to work with that coworker? <clears throat> Everybody got one. I work at the church and I got one. Um, kidding, maybe. Um, that That's just hard to love, you know? Um, let me give you two perspectives. One, how many of us, how many of you, how many of me have ever been hard to love, yet Jesus still died for you and me? So just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. But here's a little definition that might help you. Love, simply put, joyfully chooses to take an action that promotes the interest or welfare of another over oneself. The world's view of love is very, very selfish. It's all about me. God's view is selfless, and it's all about what we can give. The world says, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. Sorry, I couldn't do it without saying it. The world says, gimme, gimme, gimme. But God's love says, here, take everything. It's not focused on what's in it for me as we look. Um, used to work for a, uh, while we were in Bible school, I worked for a credit card collections company. <laughs> yeah, I was that guy. Um, to my knowledge, I've never called any of you. Um, I used to joke. Fortunately, we, we got out of debt when we went to uh, Bible school. And uh, I used to joke. I said, it's going to be awkward when my number comes up on there. But um, uh, it didn't. Thank you. Uh, but I used to work for a credit card collection company. And one of the things we had to do was, for lack of better words, convince people to they needed to pay their bill. Um, and one of the techniques or, or whatever that they said we always helped, and it, and it did, was we had to give the, the, the customer a whiffum, what they called a whiffum. And it's like, what's a whiffum? Well, one, it's fun to say whiffum. But uh, sounds like something you do on a baseball field, right? A pitcher throws a good one and he whiffs them. But no, what it is, is just basically an acronym that stands, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And that's the world's view of love. Oh, yeah, I love you. Now what's in it for me? I love you, man. Um, let's see. Today is the 20, no, what's today, the 18th? Thank you, 17th. Beginning on February the 1st, um, again, one more time, married men in the room? Married men, married men, married men. Okay. I'll help you out here in just a second. Uh, on February the 1st, every year, um, Joel Barker, he, he begins his, his overindulged, um, excessive show of love and affection uh, for his wife, Tina, uh, who he begins the 1st of February of every year and has what he or what they call the four, 14 days of Valentine's, right? Okay. Uh, now, this is going to sound sweet. Every single day, there's something sweet and it's, now he's not buying her a new car every day, so she's not got 14 out in the driveway or anything like that. But as they say, it's the little things in life. Because he's learned how, <laughs> he's learned how to um, show his love and, and actively 
show his affection towards his wife. And so everything, it, it's something here, it's something there. One day she took a picture. I wanted to come over to her house and eat it. Uh, she, uh, she took a picture. I think he had gone to work or whatever and left in her car uh, a little tin of her favorite tea, I believe, and so, some of the uh, Lynn or Lindor chocolates or something like that, you know, one day. And that was like on a, on a random eighth or something. Uh, and then, you know, one day it was, uh, it was a note and some other random. And, and every day it was something. Isn't that sweet? Joel, can you raise your hand and wait for me? Guys, this is the one making us look bad, okay? So y'all, y'all just keep that in mind. No, um, just giving them a hard time. But they, they show, they show, they show the action that is the love that they have. But I, I hope I can speak for them. The love that they have for each other is not solely based on each other. Their connection, their relationship, their love for each other is what comes from the Heavenly Father. They have gotten the concept, and this I kind of picked this up this weekend. It's changed my perspective on a few things. Somebody was showing us, uh, Justin actually, our communications director, Justin Siegel, he was showing me what they call the broken triangle. Anybody ever heard of that or seen that? Cool. Uh, so the broken triangle says this. You've got God, you've got man, and you've got woman, or husband and wife, we'll say. And we think of it as, as this triangle between the, the, that we, and we say it all the time. It's in a lot of mar- marriage ceremonies and wedding vows that God is the center of our life, right? And that, that we have this connection because of God. We have this connection between husband and wife right here, right? Because of God. Let me throw something out that might just whole, rock your whole world, and I hope it does. That should be a broken triangle. That line should not be between husband and wife to have that connection because God's the center of their life. Now, before you start throwing stones, let me explain that to you. You've got your husband, you've got your wife, and you've got God. And the broken triangle says that the only way that the husband and the wife can draw closer together is by drawing closer to the Father. So if I'm going to encourage you, if you want to draw closer in your relationship, if you want to bring your marriage or your relationship, whether, hey guys, it can, we can even talk parents here, children and parents. If you want your relationship with your coworkers to be better, to be closer, to be a more tight-knit family. If you want a relationship with a neighbor, hey, let's just be real, coming off of Pastor Eddie's last two weeks. If you need a relationship between you and someone of a different race, creed, or culture to be drawn closer together, it's not about what you guys can do to and for each other. It's about how close the two of you can draw your relationship to the Heavenly Father. Amen? All right, so in the Bible, we find love 310 times. That's a lot, if you're wondering. 66 books and 310 times the Bible talks about the subject of love. It's the second most talked about subject in the Bible. Anybody want to guess what the first is? There it is. It's money. It's money. There's a site out there. It's uh, marriage.com. It's the largest online marital resource site uh, for counseling, for uh, just uh, reference, for training, for whatever you may need, counseling even. Um, it's the largest online site in the world about marriage and considered by those that are respected the one of the foremost authorities on marriage. 45, and they say, marriage.com says, 45% of all failed marriages or all marriages that end in divorce are because of two things, one of two things, money and lack of communication slash love. Because families, relationships, 
have focused so much on what they can do or what they have to do or what they need to do to make it right instead of focusing on the one that's drawn them together to begin with. Because the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts should be what gravitates us towards Him. Not our affection for our spouse. That's important. That's fun. But it's not the, the undergird, it's not the support system of a relationship. It's not what we can do for each other. It's what God's done for us. Amen? All right. So uh, the world tells us, the world views love as short-term and self-centered. Kind of goes without saying. But God views love as everlasting and selfless. What's John 3.16 tell us? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Even if you never read the rest of that, that scripture, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, we know what the rest of it says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever. So this isn't just written to Christians. John 3.16 isn't for Christians. I'm just going to tell you. It's for whosoever. Right? Because once we get saved, then we get 1 John 1.9, right? So, uh, God's love is everlasting. The world views love as conditional. And like we said earlier, what's in it for me? But God says love should be given freely and unconditionally. Romans 5.8 tells us, read now the New uh, American Standard Version, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the Bible tells us, No greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his brother. You know, God not only gave his only son to live amongst us, to walk with us hand in hand, you know, to teach us, but he willingly gave him as a sacrifice for what we messed up. He didn't do anything wrong. Never. Not even thought about it. But yet he went to the cross for us. I don't want to get ahead of myself. <clears throat> The world says love changes based on how we feel. Now, I'm just, you hear it all the time. Well, hey, what happened with you and so-and-so? Look back at the dating relationship. What happened with you and so-and-so? I just wasn't feeling it anymore. Or I, I, this is my favorite one. I fell out of love with them. Did you, I was, well, did you fall in love with them the first time? Yeah, well, did it hurt? I mean, <laughs> I've rarely ever fallen and it didn't hurt, so... Um, I've just fell out of love with them. I just, we just don't have the same feelings for each other anymore. That's, maybe your relationship's based on the wrong focus. Just saying. Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> Be encouraged, okay? God says that his love is consistent. Not just constant, but consistent. Look with me at um, Psalms chapter 103. We'll look at verses 17 and 18. It says, But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear or who revere him. Revere him. And his salvation extends to his children's children. It wasn't a one time, the cross was not a one time shot. Talked about it in first service. Um, 
Any hunters, muzzleloaders specifically? Anybody hunt muzzleloader? There you go. You got old school or you do it with a new style, multiple loads? Um, I, w- I was in an op- uh, in an uh, organization part of Royal Rangers called FCF, for those of you that may be familiar with it, the Frontiersman Camping Fellowship. Uh, I was in it so long ago, they called it the Frontiersman Camping Fraternity. They've changed that now, but uh, the Frontiersman Camping Fellowship. And we did everything, uh, whether what we, we cooked with, what we lived in, what we wore, Brian's back there, was all dated, predated 1850, 1850. What's that? Mine was a single trigger, trigger Kentucky long, but it was a single load, so I couldn't load one, and it was old school. We're talking, you know, we, we made our own cloth and cut our own cloth for the, the wad for it. You pack that ball down in there. You pour the powder. Uh, mine wasn't a flintlock. It was a percussion, so I had a percussion cap, but then some of those guys had to, had to pour the flint into the, uh, um, uh, the chamber for the, the striking chamber, and, and, and they had one shot at whatever they were shooting at. And if you were like me, uh, it took you, on a good day, it took you about three, two and a half to three minutes to reload that thing. If I'm shooting or if I'm being shot at by somebody with a muzzle loader and they miss, I'm not going to be around in two and a half to three minutes for them to take another shot. So animal or whatever. So pretty much when you're hunting with old school muzzle loader, it's a one-shot deal. Well, the cross, I'm here to tell you, it was not a one-shot deal. When Jesus went to the cross and gave his life for us, He said he took care of salvation and the opportunity to receive that for your children and your children's children. So the cross was not a one shot. So his salvation extends to his children's children. Verse 18, of those who are faithful in his covenant or his promise and to those who what? They obey his commandments. Obedience is a big key to the victory that's found in love. You know, we, we read our Bible all the time, and um, great one. Let's turn there. We're not planning on that. I'll hurry, I promise. I'm hungry. Um, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Jamie, if you can get that up, it'd be awesome. It's not in my notes, my bad. man. Ha, beat you. Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Wives... Be subject, or one says, submit yourselves. Yeah, there we go. I like that better. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Let's keep going. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Keep rolling there. It says, Now as the church submits to Christ, or in other words, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. This isn't talking about, you know, being put under thumb and you do what you're told or else. No, you should submit or we should what? We should obey as the church obeys Christ. Just as the, because why? Why do we willingly as the church or why should the wife willingly submit or obey the husband? Because Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. So I'm not going to sit here and say, well, your husband's beating you. Your husband's abusing you. Your husband's constantly berating you. Doesn't lift you up. Well, you should still submit. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Because I'm saying you should submit because the love that is being shown to you. Just as Christ loved and gave everything. 
for the church. Your husband should be willing. Yeah, I'll probably step on some toes. I don't care. Your husband should probably be willing, not probably, your husband should be willing to give everything for you. And then it rolls in and it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He gave everything he had. He shed his blood. He willingly went to the cross. So obedience is the key to reaching victory through love. But it's not a self-sufficient master key. Within obedience comes willingness. All right, let me explain what I mean by that. Willingness is defined by Webster as an inclination or desire to act freely and to liberally give. Let's look at Luke chapter 22 real quick. Luke chapter 22 verse 42. It says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup. This cup of suffering away from me. This was Jesus' words. This was Jesus' prayer in the garden. How many have ever had that conversation with dad? It's like, dad, I just, this is more than I thought, this is more than I I think I can handle. You know, Uh, I I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what you told me to do. I I just, I'm struggling with this. It's not going to be fun. You know, maybe it's, dad, this job is just not what I expected. Dad, you know. This project in school is tougher than, than I expected. But then look what it says. It says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then the last part, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. So right here, Jesus is talking to his dad. And he says, my will is your will. This is what you want. This is what I'm willing to do. It's already being obedient. How many have teenagers? How many have first graders somewhere in there? Big difference between the attitudes, right? I've got a 15-year-old daughter. I'll take your prayers, thank you. Uh, And then my two boys, my eight and my six-year-old. Brother Carter we talked about a little bit earlier. And... um, this is my favorite. Hey, boys, it's time for bed, 8.30. Boys, it's time for bed. Let's go to bed. Can I have a drink of water? No, you should have done that an hour ago when you were watching Lego movie or whatever. Uh, and then he'll play to my wife's heartstrings. Hey, can, 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 let's read a book. Because, oh, it's great for your children to read, right? But he'll, he'll pull that one. Hey, let's read a book. No, not now, buddy. It's too late. He'll ask for something. Can I have a snack? No, buddy. It's time to go to bed. Okay, fine. He obeyed eventually. He obeyed and went to bed. But he wasn't willing, was he? He wasn't willing. Christ said, hey, if there's another way we can do this, let's do it. But ultimately, it's whatever your will is. That's what I'm submitting to. So I'm not only obedient, but I'm willing to give my life for our children. So in summary, just real quick here, guys. We must be attentive to the hearkening of the Lord. Submit to his commands. Desire to act freely according to his word. And liberally give. Not because of who we are. But because of whose we are. All right. My flaws and faults. um, Share this with you. 
this weekend while we were at winter retreat, um, Justin Siegel shared a devotion that morning, uh, yesterday morning, and Holy Spirit just dropped this down, and it was awesome because it lined right up. It says, my flaws and faults do not define me. My position in Christ and the love that I show towards others is what truly defines who I am. Love, whether good or bad, is the fruit that my life is producing. I can say whatever I want, but my true identity and my nature is proven in my ability to show love. If you see an apple tree, you expect it to produce apples. If you see an orange tree, you expect it to produce oranges. If there's a sign hanging around that apple tree that says orange tree, you're not going to believe it. For two reasons. One, you know that's an apple tree. It's supposed to produce apples. And clearly, the fruit that's on it are apples and not oranges. Whatever I can say whatever I want, but my true identity and nature is proven in my ability to show love. God's true identity is proven in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us.